out your Bibles and go to John chapter 4. We'll continue our reading, picking up in John chapter 4, verse 27. So we just interacted with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and the story continues in John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? These guys are always very confused. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Have you invited Jesus to stay with you? And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. We open our story uh, with 
John chapter 4 is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And I would invite you, as you read the rest of the Gospel of John, to always have in mind John 3.16 and John 3.17. And I would contest that all along the journey, John is trying to help us see that God has sent His Son to redeem and save and not to condemn. That God has sent His Son that we would believe and give our faith and our devotion and our allegiance only to Him, only to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. And what we see in this story is John 3.16 and 17 come to life. I already shared kind of an important point that Jesus crosses boundaries and he, re, he reinvigorates what worship can be in the kingdom of God. He says, that, he says that, that we will be a people who worship in spirit and truth. That there's no more of these boundaries. It's no, more confi- uh, it's no longer confined by what race you are or where you come from. It's not about your race and understanding that sort of identity about who you are. It's about your new identity in God, that you are a child of Christ that you have new life in Him. And so it's no longer confined to the ways that they always thought it was. Now, the conversation goes kind of like the way I think a lot of our conversations uh, kind of go in a lot of different ways of late. Jesus sits down at the well, and He asks her for a drink, and, and she looks at Him and says, well, why aren't you social distancing from me right now? You should be six feet away. I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. We have no place together. There's a lot going against Jesus in having this conversation. But I just want to take for a moment and just ponder for a second just how much Jesus changed the world by one simple question. Would you pull a drink out for me? Would you reach down to this well and would you get me a drink? And Jesus knows something about human nature, and I don't know how, how or why this works, but when Jesus asks her for a drink, he gives her dignity, he gives her a purpose, and he invites her to see that, or, and he shows her that she's, he sees a humanity within her. He gives her dignity by asking and requesting something of her. He speaks right to her soul, and he dignifies her. He recognizes her. He doesn't socially distance. He doesn't draw away, but he draws close to her and he says, would you be of help to me? And sometimes the best way we can help people see who Jesus is is just by simply asking them to help. And there are so many times where I forget this. But just reading the story and digging in and you think about just how much her life changed because Jesus asked something of her. Maybe Jesus is asking something of you. Or maybe Jesus is wanting you to to introduce someone to Jesus by simply asking them for help. Is everyone really good at asking for help in this room? Are you all at home good at asking for help? I know I'm terrible at it. I've been reaching out to some people and just saying, you know, I'm trying to take too much on my shoulders. Too many things I'm trying to figure out that I don't even need to figure out. And this just struck me really hard this, uh, this week as I was just praying over John 4. Is there are people to ask for help. And when you do, 
when you do, will it introduce them to Jesus? Will I ask my neighbors for help to build a relationship with them? Will I ask you for help to build a relationship with you? With the hopes that I bring you dignity and purpose and encouragement. With the hopes that ultimately, in every conversation that's seasoned with salt and full of grace, we would help introduce people to Jesus. Is there someone that you need to ask for help? With the sole purpose that you have in mind, that you want them to know Christ more. That might be the greatest evangelistic tool we have sometimes, is simply asking for help and building a relationship. As we think about this text, though, and what God is doing, it's interesting to me that this woman keeps going to this well. In all of my years reading the text, I always assumed that she was close to this well, that it was her neighborhood well that she would go to and everyone else would. But if you look at the text, it says you know, that they have to go back into town. To the, they purposely go out to the well. And she's gone out to this well daily. And so she has passed water sources on her way to this well. And it's speculated that they think that there is some sort of special thing going on. That, you know, it's kind of like the who's who of wells in the neighborhood. Like, this is, this is where you go to get the good stuff. And there may have even been like some sort of superstition. Like, this is Jacob's well. This is our ancestral history. This is, there's something special about this place. We're going to go here to get our water. And we might think that this is strange. But I recently looked up the price of Boss Water, V-O-S-S. You know, it comes in a nice glass bottle. You can get a case of it, 12, 12 of them, for $16. And you think, we look back at the ancient times and we think, why on earth would anybody go the extra couple of miles to get special water? Why on earth is Walmart sold out of Voss Water? It's literally sold out. I looked this morning. People are buying it up. I don't know why. It's water. You know, it's like you have your tap right there in your house. But we buy that. People buy that. I don't. And if you do, you're weird, and I don't mind condemning you for it. That's, that's not going to win anybody to Jesus. The, uh, where was I? Good grief. But you'd buy that water and you think that way because you think something special is going to come from it. And this woman, and you look at her life and there's so much speculation about what she's been through and we don't know her story and, and it would be, <coughs> excuse me, and it would be so easy to condemn. But when we read the gospel through the lens of John 3, 16 and 17, we see that there is no condemnation in Jesus knowing everything she's done. It doesn't keep Jesus from socially distancing, but drawing near and giving her dignity. And he says, would you draw a drink out for me? She keeps going to this well because I think she's trying to find satisfaction in something she's never going to find fulfilling and nourishing the way. The way that Jesus will nourish her. The way that Jesus will strengthen her. Jesus offers her living water. He says, if you knew who you were sitting by, you would ask for something way better than a drink out of this well. You would ask for living water that springs up for eternal life. And there's all kinds of debate about what does Jesus mean by the living water? Does he, does he mean baptism? Does he mean faith? Does he mean salvation? 
Does he mean his Holy Spirit? And I think it's all of the above. I think Jesus is offering each and every one of us, when he offers us the living water, he is offering us the thing deep down within every one of our souls that tells us that we're missing something. All of us deep down know we are missing something. And the only thing that will fill the void, the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will really help us and guide us is the living water of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus offers in the living water, he is offering the nourishment our soul truly needs and desires. And what this woman has gone seeking day in and day out of her life, Jesus is offering her right now at present this peace, this hope, this salvation, this nourishment, this thing that will satisfy her and complete her. And what will complete her is Jesus Christ, the living water, hope and salvation. And so she says, yeah, give me, give me this water. Give me more of this. I, I, I want this. And Jesus, he speaks to her, but he doesn't condemn her. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world, but to save the world. And she goes and she tells the neighborhood, I've met someone who knows everything about me, but he hasn't condemned me. I met someone who's a Jew, who's the Messiah, who's the one we've been waiting for, and he hasn't kicked me aside, but he has told me everything about me. And he says, I have a place with him. And the thing is, I think that if we look at our lives and we wrestle with all these different things, you know that ache in your soul and you know those desires and those things. And I think if we all got together and we shared our stories, we would find a lot of times in which we were going to wells that weren't satisfying who we want to be. We were going to wells that weren't healing us, weren't helping us, weren't quenching our thirst. We were going to places that don't really truly offer real satisfaction and true peace. And Jesus offers her this. Drink the living water and have life in me. And she goes and she tells others all about him and she, she wants people to know that she's found the Messiah. Could this be the one we've been looking for? And after telling her story, many more believe and they said, you know, at first it was, we weren't sure, but now we know that you really are the Savior of the world. All along the journey, John is going to draw out people and stories that are written for people who will read the gospel well after Jesus is no longer roaming the earth the way he was. And that Christianity would be long down the road as we are now. John had us in mind for a great deal of his gospel because he would speak to people who would never have physically seen Jesus and say that you are blessed when you believe and you give your life to Christ. He was speaking to us. And he's speaking to you know, quite a few generations before us and quite a few generations after us. To say that you will be blessed if you believe. And all along the journey, there will be folks that John wants us to look to as heroes. And there are sometimes 
strange characters in the gospel in unexpected places. And in this time, it's a royal centurion who has a sick child, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, my son is about to die, and I need your help. I need you to come with me. And Jesus says to him, your son will be healed. And, when he, and the, it says that he believed him and he departed. And when he's on his way, his friends catch up to him and they say, your son is healed. And he's like, well, well when did that happen? And he, you know, he gets out his, you know, his sundial. I don't know how he told, uh, told time. He goes, oh, that's, that's precisely the moment when the Savior of the world said my son would be well. That's the moment. And it says he believed and his household believed and I think every person that he came in contact with would hear that story again and again. That there is one who has spoken and he healed my son and I believe in him. And we are told that story so that you would believe today and know that Jesus is the Messiah and that He loves you and He cares for you deeply. And that He is the hope in the midst of every trial that we face. That He is the light in the midst of the darkness. And so the question that I'm always challenged with is, will I have the faith like the centurion? Will I believe even though I don't see? Will I believe and listen to Jesus and what he says. All along this journey, we're going to be challenged to do two things. Abide with Jesus and to go with Jesus. To listen to him and his words and trust in his words and then go and walk in what he has laid on our hearts. That is the simplest version of what I understand Christianity to be giving my heart to Christ, giving my day to Him, and enjoying the journey each step of the way with Him all along, every step of the way throughout my day. Will I abide with Him? And will I go with Him? Will I take time to listen? And will I follow? Will I let Him tell me all of my failures and brokenness and enjoy that I'm not condemned in my guilt but set free in salvation? Will I abide and will I go? The disciples, they come onto the scene and one, they're perplexed at what Jesus is doing. They don't understand. And they say, surely you got to be hungry by now. He says, no, don't call me surely and I'm not hungry. Sorry, that's a bad joke, but another one that's probably not going to help anybody come to Jesus. But, uh, but he says, guys, this is, this, is not, this is not what nourishes me. What does Jesus say is his bread? What is it that satisfies Jesus deep down in his heart? My bread and what I eat, Jesus says, is what truly, <coughs> excuse me, what truly satisfies me is to do the will of the one who sent me. This is his bread, and he invites it to be our bread. 
that we would find in our life Jesus as the living water, as the true source of our satisfaction. And then he reorients our life and he changes our worldview to what truly becomes the satisfaction of our souls and the fulfillment in us is to become children who do the will of the Father. That's your invitation to the life in Jesus is that you would abide with him and you would go with him. That you would see he's the living water and the source of your life and that you would also understand and know that true life comes from seeking the will of God. And so I offer just a simple sort of challenge and encouragement. And the first is, is have you received Jesus as your living water? Is he the one who has satisfied you and offered you new life? Do you take Jesus at his word and go out and try it? Have you loved your enemies lately? Have you prayed for them? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you listened to Jesus and followed through? Is there someone in your life that you could ask for help? And I'm not saying that you have a problem. I'm saying you could be doing something and you could be just fine doing it all on your own. Maybe you're an expert like me at living life on your own. But is there someone you can ask a simple question? Hey, would you like to help me with this? And maybe, just maybe, the gospel would be heard. And another thing that just comes out of this text is, would you tell your story? Would you tell people about Jesus being the living water, the Messiah that you found? Would you come and Tell people about Jesus being the Savior of the world. There is something for everyone in John 4, particularly for people who are far away from God, to know that there is no condemnation in Christ. That this gospel is for everyone. This gospel is for people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us. This gospel crosses all boundaries. And it crosses all buildings. This gospel is for all people and it's for sinners like you and me. Would you tell your story of meeting the Savior Jesus, the living water and the bread of life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and I thank you for today, a time to celebrate Jesus, our Lord and our King. And we pray, God, that you would comfort us, that you would Give us strength and peace today. We pray for our world. It's your world. And we know that, uh, that you are in control and that you care deeply for us. And I'd ask God that you would please guide us as your children, that you would protect us and help us and heal us. We pray for our nurses and our doctors and our essential workers. And so many people are putting long hours in trying to keep the world going and moving. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our veterans and those who have given their lives. For so many reasons, God, thinking above uh, rather than themselves, but thinking of others before self. God, you are good to us, and you've given us your spirit, and you care deeply for us. We want to worship you not just in this moment in spirit and truth, but every, every moment of our life. We know that you go with us and you care deeply for us. Guide us as your children, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this day.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the worship team continues and, and guides us in uh, just a little bit more worship, I hope that you will find that Jesus can be your living water. If you would like to know more about how Christ can be that living water that nourishes you and strengthens you, please reach out, either on Facebook or uh, email or a text message, or there will be ways to communicate with us, and we want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cares deeply for you. He is the author and perfecter of life, and he invites you into life in his kingdom. Would you join our church family? When we can finally join all together again, we want you to be there. We want you to know you have a place in God's family. God bless you.